You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners. Before we start the show, I wanted to let you know about another disability podcast that I think you'll love. The disability community is not a monolith. Within the community, there's people of different views, beliefs, and identities. And each individual person with a disability has a story to tell. And that's why we're here. Our podcast, You First by Disability Rights Florida, features firsthand interviews with disabled guests, scholars, and advocates covering a wide variety of disability-related issues. We have episodes on voting access, mental health, ableism in academia, disability and reproductive justice, disabled art, accessible video gaming, and much more. Our goal? To have you take away a new perspective on disability and bring awareness and insight to the world around you. You can listen to our latest episodes wherever you're listening now or visit us at disabilityrightsflorida.org forward slash podcast to learn more and find transcripts of all of our episodes. Hey there, friends. It's your disabled... Well, well, let's try that out again. Hey there, friends. It's your favorite disabled person on the internet. Hello, it's Andrew Grizzly here, very quickly popping in to say that on top of this amazing podcast that you listen to every other week... I want to let you know of a new little side hustle that I have created for myself, and I wanted to invite you to partake in if you so choose. One of the things that I do for my family every year on their birthdays is I sing them a Marilyn Monroe-type happy birthday song. kind of goes like this. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Okay, you get the idea. So it's like that. And I I decided to do it for sale. And I wanted to send you all a sexy, breathy, Marilyn Monroe-esque birthday message. Or any kind of message that you want. Whether it be inspirational, whether it be motivational, whether it be a funny message for me. So I would love to invite you, if you wanted to get a unique, fun gift for yourself or for someone else, you can pop over to paypal.com, sorry, paypal.me, paypal.me slash Andrew Gerza and give me 10 bucks and I'll send you a hilarious message, gift for your friends, for yourself, for whoever you like. And if you want me to do it in a breathy Marilyn Monroe voice, I will do that for you. But I just thought I would throw this out on the podcast and offer that to you. So send me an email at andrew at com and let me know if you want it, what kind of message you want. And I will make that for you right here in my home studio from your favorite disabled person, me, Andrew Gerza. Thanks, friends. Get yours today. Bye. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clonawilly and Clonopussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. If you shop at Clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned.
Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends, and thank you so much for clicking on episode 337 of Disability After Dark. I can't believe we're almost at 340 episodes with the bonus episodes. We're way up past that, but I'm so excited that you're here. Um, My name is Andrew Gerza. I'm a disability awareness consultant. I will be your ever-loving disabled host. Let us get ready for this episode. It's going to be a fun one. It's going to be an intimate episode of you and I just hanging out together. And I'm going to bring back a series that I loved doing some episodes ago that I haven't done for a long time. So here we go. Let's do it again. We all know that when you have a disability, you're constantly asked, what happened? Or, what's wrong with you? And we all know these kind of questions run rampant on disability apps and websites and dating sites when you disclose that you're disabled. We all have heard this over and over again. We also know that so many disability advocates and disabled folks in general, when they run into questions like this, will say stuff like, Oh, just Google it, or Google is your friend. And I personally never really loved saying just Google it because I had an experience once, and I think I mentioned this way back on the podcast forever ago, but I'll mention it again. I had an experience once where I went on a dating app, I went on Grinder to go on a, a sex date with a guy, and I said, oh, I have cerebral palsy, and he Googled it, and he was like, All the things I googled about your condition are really scary, and I don't think I want to go on a date with you. So I was like, well, that really sucks. Google kind of gave him probably the scariest outcome of what this could be. I want to actually do this properly. So I started a series on here forever ago, which I haven't done in forever because we've had a lot of guests. But I started a series called What's Your Condition, where we're basically going to go over certain disabilities, and we're going to look at what what the markers are, what the history is, what some of the mythology is, and how it affects people day to day. And it's one of my favorite series to do on this show, because I learn a lot too. There's a lot about disabilities that I don't understand that I get to learn about. So I'm really, really excited to start it up again. And so let's jump into episode 337. What's your condition? And the condition that we're going to look at today, well, I'm going to tell you right now. Let me read my bullet points properly, and then I'll tell you. On the show today, I want to explore a disability that I don't know really anything about, angulosing spondylitis. One of my famous friends and colleagues, Zach from the Try Guys, lives with AS, and way back when I spoke with him about two years ago on the show, if you find that episode... We talk about that, but I really didn't know anything outside of talking with Zach about it. And our recent guest, Sev Faust, also has AS. But I didn't want them to do a deep dive into their, like, clinical discussions of their condition because that's not cool. So I thought, I want to learn more about this condition. I want to understand what it is. And I want to see what the internet says about this condition. And I thought we could do that together today. So, let's do it together. So, get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and let us learn about ankylosing spondylitis together. Whoa, when I said together there, I definitely burped when I was doing that. So, yeah, if you you were like, whoa, Andrew, did you burp? The answer is, yeah, I totally did, because I drank a bunch of iced tea before I recorded, and I totally burped it up. So, that's what happened. But let's, uh... Let's learn about ankylosing spondylitis together right now. So, let's learn about what is ankylosing spondylitis. Ankylosing spondylitis, and I got this from the Wikipedia, so I'm not sure how entirely accurate this is, but this is what Wikipedia tells me. If I was to go on a date with somebody and they had said, I have ankylosing spondylitis, this is probably what I would find. So, ankylosing spondylitis, or AS, is... A type of arthritis characterized by long-term inflammation of the joints of the spine, typically where the spine joins the pelvis. Occasionally, area other areas affected may include 
other joints such as shoulders and hips. Fun. I have CP and my hips are constantly affected by my CP and constantly like subluxing because of my CP. So I get that. And I can imagine that's not super fun for anybody living with AS. Um, it also says here that eye and bowel problems may occur as well as back pain. Fun! I understand bowel problems so much. I get that, friends. So if you're living with AS and you have bowel problems, I I hear you. I'm right with you. I'm 100% right there with you. I get it. Good times. It also says that joint mobility in the affected area generally worsens over time. Fun! So this isn't like you're going to have this and it will occasionally get better. It's only going to, according to this Wikipedia article, it's only going to get worse and worse, which is which sounds not fun for anybody living with that. So if you're living with that, uh, I can imagine that that's not super fun. It also says, although the cause of ankylosing spondylitis is unknown, which, you know, living with a condition that is unknown, people don't know the cause, I have to say that's probably really fucking annoying because you're like, great, well, no one knows what the fuck it is, so how do we fix it? I can imagine that's really, really stressful. So, although the cause of ankylosing spondylitis is unknown, it is believed to be to involve a combination of genetic environmental factors so it's partially your genes fun cool thanks genetics and also environmental factors also fun cool great it says more than 85 percent of those affected in the uk have a specific human leukocyte antigen known as hla b27 antigen which i think basically means and i could be wrong i am no doctor here but I think human leukocyte means that you there's an issue with your white blood cells. Isn't the white blood cell a leukocyte? That that's from my minimal understanding of like biology from like grade eleven. That's what I remember. The leukocyte is a white blood cell. I'm gonna type it in and do my research. Wait. I'm doing my research. Leukocyte is Leukocyte. Yeah, leukocyte. I was right. Good for me. Leukocyte is a white blood cell, so it sounds like there's a problem with the white blood cell in people with with um, ankylosing spondylitis, which I'm sure if you're living with that, that's great news to hear. Um, my notes go on to say that the underlying mechanism is believed to be autoimmune or autoinflammatory. So, it sounds like AS is an autoimmune disease. Diagnosis of AS is typically based on symptoms with support from medical imaging and blood tests. AS is a type of seronegative spondyloarthropathy, meaning that the tests show no presence of rheumatoid factor antibodies, which I'm going to I'm going to again do my research on what that is for one second so I understand. Let me come back and we let's understand what seronegative spondyloarthropathy is. I'll come right back with that definition. I'm just going to read what seronegative means so we all understand. Seronegative means people with these conditions typically do not have antibodies called rheumatoid factors in their blood. In contrast, Established rheumatoid arthritis patients often test positive for rheumatoid factors. So basically, I think what that's, what that's saying is that people with ankylosing spondylitis do not have rheumatoid arthritis. It's something a little bit different and, and more fun and spindly and exciting. Yeah. People who have seronegative spondyloarthropathy also could have irritable inflammatory bowel disease, psoriatic, I, I can talk, psoriatic arthritis, PSA, um, reactive arthritis, and undifferentiated SPA, spinal, 
something andrelopathies. Yeah, you can tell why that I that I never became that I should never be a scientist. We can tell, but um. So yeah, people with seronegative spondyloarthropathies also can have IBD, reactive arthritis, and undifferentiated SPA. Fun. So, what are the key characteristics of ankylosing spondylitis, or AS? And from what I found was, ankylosing spondylitis is a long-term, chronic condition in which the spine and other areas of the body become inflamed. Fun for inflammation, yeah. So, you can, if anybody says, what's your deal, you can be like, I'm flaming hot. I'm flaming hot and disabled. Disabled people are flaming hot. Maybe that's something we should do. Um, but the symptoms of AS can vary, but usually involve back pain and stiffness that improves with exercise and isn't relieved by rest. So for all you folks that were like, oh, the, the solution is rest. Nope. Um, other symptoms include pain and swelling in other areas of the body, such as the hips, knees, and ribs. And then another major symptom that I saw a lot was Fatigue and extreme tiredness. And this is not just, I'm tired, I need a power nap. This is like bodily, complete fatigue. And I'm pretty sure that Zach and I talk about this in our episode if you go back and listen. These symptoms tend to develop gradually over time, usually over several months or years, which I'm sure is so fun for people living with it and so exciting. And they may come and go over time, which again, you, who wants to have an ang- angulosis spondylitis flare? No one. And I know that Zach and I have talked about flares also before as well. It says that in some people, the condition gets better with time, but for others, it can slowly get worse. Again, so fun and so enjoyable. What a great time. There is no known cure for ankylosing spondylitis. Treatments may include medication, exercise, physical therapy, and in rare cases, surgery. Medications include NSAIDs, steroids, DMARDs, and a whole bunch of other things that I wasn't sure of. But I think NSAIDs are just really strong steroids, as far as I understand. It also says here that approximately 0.1 to 0.8 of all humans are affected with onset typically occurring in young adults. Males and females are equally affected. I'd like to know what the numbers are for trans and non-binary folks living with AS, because I'm sure if we looked at those numbers, it would be a lot different. However, women are more likely to experience inflammation rather than fusion. Let's look at a little more of the history of ankylosing spondylitis. The history goes like this. Paleopathological studies of Egyptian mummies suggest that the disease known as AS has been, has been, has afflicted humankind, I hate that word, has been around since antiquity. Which means that when somebody says something ableist about your AS, you can say, this has been around since the pharaohs, bitch. Don't mess with me. You can say that you are an Egyptian king, queen, or royalty because you have this disability. So, however, what may be known as the first historical description of ankylosing spondylitis did not appear in the literature until 1559 when Rialdo Colombo provided an, an anatomical description of two skeletons with abnormalities typical of AS in his book De Re Anatomica. And then in 1693, more than 100 years after Columbo's description, Bernard Connor, an Irish doctor, described a, disin- a disinterred human skeleton that had a spine marked with curvature. Girl, me too. I have a spine marked with curvature. Hey, what up? He said that additionally, additionally the ilium sacrium five lumbar and ten thoracic vertebrae, and five right and three and left ribs. Let's try that again. Let me read that again because it didn't make sense. He said, additionally, 
the ilium sacrum, five lumbar and ten thoracic vertebrae, and five right and three left ribs appear to be fused at the joinings, resulting in one continuous bone. Connor subsequently described the possible consequences of spinal curvature on movement and respiration during the patient's lifetime. I did a bit of a deep dive on Connor, on Bernard Connor, because I wanted to know what kind of dude he was, and I wanted to know who was making these findings and what his deal was as a person. Was he a good dude or not? So let's learn more about Dr. Bernard Connor. Dr. Bernard Connor lived from 1666 to 1698. He he went all over the world learning about medicine, and he was very, very um, staunch in his dedication to anatomy and to dissection. He wanted to know all about the science. He was less concerned about the thoughts of the day, which were like, you know, God gave you this and all those things. He was much more concerned with Let's talk about science and the cause of diseases and the true applications of medicine to cure them, which is really cool because I'm sure in, in the 15th century he was, you know, around a lot of people who were like, let's just do a lot of cool godly medicine and see what happens when God says this happens. So it's kind of cool that we had somebody who was like, no, I want to understand the scientific basis for this and... um and that's, I think that's really important because the scientific method helps us understand things better. He said, It is plain to me that the causes of diseases and the true applications to cure them can be rendered very intelligible, so that the vulgar, axi the vulgar axiom that there is no certainty in physic will be found most erroneous. Basically, I think what he's saying here is that like, we we have so much trouble finding the truth about about illnesses and diseases because we don't look at the look at the body as a whole thing. We look to God as a reason. That's what I take from this anyway. Also, for Doctor Bernard Connor in a religious age, Connor's advanced views sometimes got him in trouble. Me too, girl. Me too. When others believe that the moment of death was the moment the soul left the body, Connor once shocked an audience in Poland by proposing that death occurred when the heart stopped beating. Really? Shocking. I never knew that. In one of his books, Evangelium Medici, he set out to show that there could only be a natural explanation for the miracles of the Gospels, and for this he was accused of heresy. Heresy. Who doesn't love a true heretic queen? Like, good for him. I, I will probably be accused of heresy at some point, too, for talking so openly about disability. So, good for him. Clap, clap, snap, snaps. Good for him. A little bit more on the history of ankylosing spondylitis. Other clinical descriptions of conditions resembling ankylosing spondylitis did not appear again in the literature until the mid-1800s. Several doctors, including Dr. Leon, Adams, Todd, Hare, Brondy, Wilson, Broadhurst, Hilton, Van Totten, Fagge, and Sturge, reported this condition between 1831 and 1879. It's also known as condition in Russia. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Bacteru in Russia in 1893. And also known as Strumpel's disease in Germany in 1897. Also in France, it's known as Marie disease from 1898. And Connor disease in the early 1900s. Von Bacteru's classic description of AS gave rise to the term Bacteru's disease, most commonly used in Germany. But again, it had a bunch of different names, which I think speaks to the fact that it can probably show up in different 
ways for different people. That's why it had different names, because it looked probably different on different people that were living with it. Although these early anatomical and clinical descriptions established as established AS as a discrete disorder, the concept of AS evolved with the emergence of Rowentogeneology Rowent Rowent genealogy and other advances in science and medicine. I don't know what Rowent geology is. Let me do a quick deep dive to figure out what it is I just said. Oh, so basically with the rise of Rowent genealogy, which is basically the rise of the um, study of x-ray, basically what it sounds like to me in the radial imaging um, from my Google search there. With the rise of radial imaging, more and more people were diagnosed with AS because doctors could see the fusing of the bones together, which is kind of cool that more and more people got to understand what it is which I think is important. I also want to briefly take a look at the meaning of the name ankylosing spondylitis and figure out what its entomology, etymology is. Not entomology, not bugs. Etymology. I want to find out what its etymology is. So, etymologically speaking, ankylosing spondylitis derives from the Greek roots ankylos, which means crooked, and spondylos, which means joint of the back. The name of the disease and its evocative is evocative of the severely kyphotic posture exhibited by patients with advanced cases of ankylosing spondylitis. So I'm guessing that means like really bent and fused posture or really like big, big curvatures in the spine. Um, I wonder how much scoliosis has to do with with ankylosis spondylitis. I wonder, because I had, for years, before I had my spinal fusion surgery, I had a huge curvature of the spine where it was going to impede my windpipe and I might not have survived had I not had the surgery. So I just wonder how much of a connection to... Um, to Scoliosis, angulosis, angulosing spondylitis had. And now I want to look at one of my favorite segments for this, this kind of episode. I want to look at some of the mythology around angulosing spondylitis and some of the things that people think about angulosing spondylitis that are not necessarily the truth. So let's do that now. Okay, so here are some of the common myths about ankylosing spondylitis. And myth number one from Everyday Health says that ankylosing spondylitis is a rare condition, a myth. According to the Spondylosis, Spondylitis Association of America, at least 3.2 million people in the U.S. have some form of spondyloarthritis defined as a group of inflammatory diseases that can cause inflammation in the spine, joints, and areas where ligaments or tendons are attached to bones. 3.2 million people have have some form of this, so it's way more common than you think. It isn't rare, and we should be talking about it more because it is so common. Myth number two, ankylosing spondylitis is primarily a concern for men. It says that while previous estimates indicated that men were two to three times more likely to be affected by AS than women, updated research has found that the true ratio may be closer to one to one. According to a study in August of 2021, I would also, like I just said a second ago, I would love to learn what the ratio and what the numbers are for non-binary and trans folk who live with ankylosing spondylitis. I'd love to, to have those numbers too, but of course, medically, we won't be ever seeing that in journal, but I'd love to understand. There are, however, key differences between how ankylosing spondylitis affects men and women. According to a 2020 review in Arthritis and Rheumatism magazine, 
For one, it takes women significantly longer to get the correct diagnosis. This is typically true. Women are not often believed when they come in with a medical problem, so this doesn't. This is not surprising. It takes women about nine years on average to be properly diagnosed with AS, and men 6.5 years. Again, I would love to see the way that trans health and non-binary health considers this, but we'll never know that because, of course not. The review notes that some explanations for this discrepancy include differences in initial angulosic spondylitis symptoms. Women may experience more widespread pain, and men may experience more acute pain, more back pain, as well as doctors' mistaken perception that AS is more of a male disease. Gross! Ew! So there's misogyny in even the diagnosis of this disease. Of course there is. Of course. Why would I think anything different? Myth number three, angulosing spondylitis is always diagnosed from back pain. It's hard to diagnose angulosing spondylitis based on only back pain because back pain is so common. One doctor that this article referenced said hardly anyone goes one year without a backache. So, although some persist in looking for answers for their chronic pain, others dismiss it, and it can be hard to diagnose AS because we're told it's just back pain. Because angulosing spondylitis can also affect other parts of the body, the diagnosis may come from another problem. Like we said earlier, it can affect the ribs and the joints and the eyes and the, and the digestive tract, so it could be something else. It's also possible for a doctor to see signs of AS on an x-ray. There is no definitive test for AS. Diagnosis is based on a combination of your medical history, a physical examination, x-rays, or other imaging and tests. Now, I can imagine that also going to see a number of doctors to figure this out and having them tell you it's just back pain and being dismissed by the doctors is probably very, very, very annoying. And I know that I know that Zach feels that way, too, when he has to deal with all this medical going around and talking to doctors. We I remember we spoke about that a little bit as well. Kind of a follow-up to the last myth, angulosing spondylitis only affects your back. Like we just said, chronic back pain is a very common clue that leads to diagnosis because it affects the spine, but angulosing spondylitis can also affect joints, shoulders, ribs, hips, knees, and feet. And also digestive tract in your eyes. And you can have another condition from AS called uvititis, which I think is one that that affects your eyes and your gut. Fun! Oh no, it's just your eyes. In fact, angulosing spondylitis can affect the eyes of more than 30% of people who have it, according to the National Institute of Health. Less commonly, angulosing spondylitis may also impact your lungs or your heart. So really, to say it's just back pain is really dismissive and not necessarily the truth. Myth 5, and I think this one is particularly important and I kind of alluded to it a minute ago. Myth 5 is that rest is one of the best ways to combat angulosing spondylitis pain. In fact, the back pain associated with angulosing spondylitis differs from other types of back pain in that it worsens with rest and gets better with activity, which is kind of counterintuitive because you would think that if you want something to stop hurting, you should rest it. But apparently, this fun little condition likes to do things the other way. Doctors say that being active is only one of the best ways you can do for your AS, which I can imagine somebody living with multiple conditions, including AS, being active could be really, really hard. And really, really difficult to manage how to how you be active. Like, what if you had CP and AS? Like, what if you couldn't get around? Like, I, I can just imagine that it would be really hard. So to say, just exercise and do a lot of physical therapy. That's also hard because a lot of physical therapy, when you're an adult, you either have to pay a lot of money for it and go see a PT. And if you're living with multiple disabilities where you li- and you live on benefits, just going to see a therapist or a physical therapist can be really costly and and not always accessible to you. So just saying get exercise 
also feels a little bit dismissive. Myth number six, you shouldn't take non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs or NSAIDs if you have AS. Apparently, the, you can take those, but the, the feeling is that you shouldn't take them because they upset the stomach. However, NSAIDs are actually the most common pain reliever for people in the early stages of the condition. When you take NSAIDs, the doctor can help you minimize the risk of side effects like heartburn, Heartburn is the worst I've had it multiple times for multiple conditions that I have, and I hate it. But apparently you can take non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs if you need to. So, yay, an extra drug should you need to take it. Awesome, good. And the last big myth that I found on this page was that ankylosing spondylitis always results in a fused spine. The fact is that a fused spine only occurs in the late stages of AS, and for some people, the condition never progresses that far. Using exercise and medication can help your prognosis. Again, I think exercise is great, and I think if you have access to that, great, but I also think that we should be talking about how inaccessible, quote, exercise can be for people with disabilities. It can be inaccessible financially. And so to just say having a good exercise regimen will make you feel better feels really dismissive and incorrect to me. A few more myths that I want to bust about AS. There's another myth that says young people don't get angulosing spondylitis. Most people think of arthritis and, and inflammatory diseases like this or conditions like this to only occur with aging. But if you're having, if you're young and you have ankylosing spondylitis, you're far from being alone, which is why I love when Zach from the Try Guys talks about it on their channel and makes it a public thing. I'm really, really excited by it because he should talk about it. And I love that someone's, someone of his age group is talking about this condition. It's so, so important. Um, the... The website says, Ankylosing spondylitis symptoms typically begin to appear from the ages of 17 to 45. I can't imagine being a teenager and dealing with AS pain. Like, wow. That's a lot to, to manage. But it proves that this condition is not just for older people. It can affect anybody. And Zach Kornfeld is proof of that. Um, another myth that I see here, a fused back and severe disability are inevitable. So it's, the myth is that because you're going to, you have AS, you're going to have a fused back and you're going to have a fused spine and you're going to have severe disability. Um, it says that this doesn't happen to everyone. Most people with AS have milder symptoms that can be effectively managed. It may require some lifestyle or occupational changes, but doesn't necessarily mean you'll have severe disability or fuse back. Also, as somebody living with a severe disability, severe disability is not the worst thing in the world, I promise you. I live with it every day. It's not so bad. You'll be okay. There's another myth, and I thought this was important to bring up. Angulosing spondylitis affects all people of all races the same way. And this, I felt it was important to talk, to talk about this because we don't often talk about racially competent healthcare, quite honestly. And I thought that this was important to bring it up. So it says that angulosing spondylitis is three times more common in white Americans than black Americans, but, but, but that a 2019 study examined that 10,999 10,990 people with AS between 1999 and 2017 found that the disease may be more severe for African Americans who had higher inflammatory markers and more coexisting conditions than white Americans. That's an important thing that I feel like we should talk about. It, it could be more severe for African Americans, and because we think it affects races all the same way, um, we're not looking at the 
culturally competent healthcare to ensure that African Americans or black people get the right kind of treatment for AS. And we need to be talking about that. Another big myth is that there are no complications associated with ankylosing spondylitis. This is untrue. More than half of people with ankylosing spondylitis also live with osteoporosis, which is a disease that weakens the bones. They live with uvitis, which is something that I just spoke about. Again, an eye condition that affects 26% of people with AS and can cause permanent blindness. But if you develop blindness, you can become a cool blind person that does cool stuff around blindness. So don't worry too much about that because being blind is not the end of your life. I promise you. Um, up to 10% of people with AS also live with heart issues. Having AS may increase your risk of heart disease and stroke by up to 60%. So people that are just like, oh, you just have AS, no big deal. Not true. Another myth that I think is important to talk about, people with AS will always have a poor quality of life. This is just not true. People with AS and other conditions can have a great quality of life if they can manage their things. And many treatments could assist people um, to have a great quality of life. But we have to think also about the accessibility of those treatments for people on who are impoverished, who are who are people of color, who are different, have different socioeconomic factors that make these treatments inaccessible to them. I wanted to look at some of the ways that ableism impacted people with ankylosing spondylitis, and I found a lot of blogs and journals that said a lot of people with ankylosing spondylitis dealt with a lot of internalized ableism because the condition can take years to develop and take time to show different symptoms so their inaccessibility uh, will change over time and they'll have to constantly adapt to their body's pain level to different things they can't do anymore and they've often felt like the internalized ableism one quote that I read from somebody was that the internalized ableism from AS was, was really insidious and really really hard to manage because Every time she turned around, her condition would change a little bit. And I, I imagine for her, for this person in the blog, was really upset. And I can imagine living with, with a condition that is constantly changing. I know with my CP, not the same thing at all. But I know that as my condition changes, and as the shape of my condition changes, it's really, really a big blow when those things happen. And it can be really hard to navigate. But a lot of blogs that I read said the internalized ableism around AS because of the prolonged pronouncement of symptoms was really, really hard to navigate. So anybody living with that, seeing new symptoms pop up, I'm here to tell you that I am your symptom sister and I feel you. I'm right there with you. So I know what it's like to lose function. I know how hard that can be. I know all about chronic pain from my own experience with CP. Don't let the internalized ableism get you down, but thank you for talking about it. And if you're living with AS and you want to come talk to me about it, I would love to have you on the show. Another type of ableism that a lot of people with AS deal with and that I wanted to bring to light in this episode was some of the things that I read that people said about AS. I found an article that said five things I'm tired of hearing about ankylosing spondylitis. People don't want to hear, how's your back today? Because the answer will al almost always be, well, it's pretty much never good. When, when somebody with, with ankylosing spondylitis says, I have fatigue, don't answer back. Yeah, I get tired too. No, don't do that. Don't do it. Another big one that I found was super ableisty and I wanted to bring up. People say to people with AS all the time, you've been fine all day. Why do you need to sit down now? Okay, listen. If I was living with an unknown condition, unknown of where it came from, and there was no cure for it, and I told you that I needed to sit the fuck down, you're going to let me sit the fuck down. Don't say this to people. 
you've been fine all day and now you need to sit down. Not appropriate. Inappropriate. Not fair. Don't do it. Don't do it. And of course, the old classic, you don't look like you're in pain. Shut the fuck up. Never say this to anybody. This is inappropriate. People with chronic pain are really good at masking it and hiding it and not talking about it. Don't you dare say this to a disabled person or somebody living with AS. Don't do it. I found an article that said nine helpful devices for people living with ankylosing spondylitis. And I wanted to highlight these because I think mobility aids and devices are so important and we should talk about them way more openly than we do. So I wanted to run down some of the devices that people have chosen. And the first device is, of course, canes, crutches, and walkers. Not only these, not only do these devices help people live a physically active lifestyle, but they also take the pressure off of inflamed, painful joints. Good. And also, canes are really sexy right now. I know my friend Lucy Dawson, who was on the show a couple years ago, has these really cool, colorful, like sexy canes, and I love them, and canes are really cool. Walkers are also really cool. Like, rollators are really, really common for people with um, who need mobility devices to walk. Cool rollators, they're really, really common, and they, they you know, I think... I think they can be made into something we should talk about more. And they're not just for old people. They're for everyone. Another device that people with ankylosing spondylitis should use. Really, I think everyone everyone with a disability should be given this in a disability starter pack. Reachers. I think reachers are so cool. They allow you to grasp things and extend your grasp and go sideways if you can't. Or grab grocery shopping, or pick something up off the floor. I love reachers, and I truly think that everybody with a disability should have one. Another device that can help people with ankylosing spondylitis is raised seats and cushions. If pain in your hips, back, or knees makes it hard to get up and down, raised seats and cushions can help take some of the pressure off. Yes, and raised seats and cushions can also help you have sexy time if you want to have sexy time. As somebody with ankylosing spondylitis, get pillows. I promise you, they're a game changer. They also recommend getting dressing devices like extended shoehorns and sock aid devices that you can put socks on if it's too hard for you to bend. I think that all these things should be in an ankylosing spondylitis starter pack because that's amazing other things they say in this article are you could get reclining chairs so you can take the pressure off um you should get extra wide side view mirrors if you have ankylosing spondylitis all those things and i think those are great i didn't do all nine of them but these are some great ideas oh one thing that i see here custom orthotics anybody with foot pain or hand pain. If you have AS, get custom orthotics or splints. They really do help. There was a whole bunch more that I could have looked at into, spon into ankylosing spondylitis, but this gives you a little bit of a primer on what it is and how it affects people. Um, I really, really enjoy doing What's Your Condition episodes because I learned so much, and I am so grateful that I got to bring this to you today to, to teach you a little bit about what the Google machine says about ankylosing spondylitis. And I can imagine that if you're going on a date with somebody and you say that they, and you say that you have AS and they read all this, it can be daunting. But I'm sure and I know there are people out there in the world who live with ankylosing spondylitis and other spondylitis type conditions that are amazing dates and amazing people and should be honored. And remember, if you live with, with Ankylosing spondylitis, you can say that you are you are just like the pharaohs in Egypt, bitch. And you can say that you are flaming hot as a disabled person. And you can make it a fun thing, even when you're not having a fun moment with it. So I hope you enjoyed this What's Your Condition episode. I will put links to the spondylitis.org so you can learn more about it. And if you are out there living with AS and 
ankylosing spondylitis. I would love to hear from you and learn about your experience. Hope you enjoyed this one. Also, please email me at andrewandandrewgerza.com with your other ideas for other other conditions you want me to do a deep dive on and some research on and to learn about together. I really enjoy these episodes, so let me know what you think we should uh, we should talk about and what other conditions you want me to bring to the forefront. Thanks, friends. Have a good one. We'll see you next week for another episode of Popcorn and Power Chairs. Get ready. Wee! Popcorn and Power Chairs number three. I don't know what we're listening to yet, but uh, we'll we'll find out together next week. Bye. All right, friends, that's another episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. I'm, of course, your delectable daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Thank you so much for being here and shining a light on these stories with me. Thank you. If you want to follow my work, you can go to www.andrewgerza.com. Anytime, all my links are there. If you want to support the show in any way, we, you can leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and that will give you access to the show one day early, completely ad-free for as little as $1 a month or $5 a month or more if that works for your budget. Also, there are yearly amounts available there. So if you wanted to do that, that would be great. If you're able to, I would appreciate it. If you want to be a guest on the show, please email me directly at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com or andrew at andrewgerza.com. I would love to have you and shine a light on your story. Thank you so much for listening to these episodes and supporting disability content by listening to Disability After Dark. And we will see you for our next episode in two weeks. Thanks, friends. Talk to you soon. Bye! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, Please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2023.